Well, at this point in time, let's welcome everyone from our online audience. Come on, everyone watching Church Online, you're so welcome to Lighthouse Church also. We are part two of a, ser- of a series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And the reason why we're doing this series is very simple. We all have this in common. We all start every new year, right, endeavoring, hoping, longing, planning, praying, fasting for a better year than last year. And the truth is, there's lots of things that have happened to us over the last two years that were outside of our control. COVID, lockdown, pandemics, and all these things. But despite the loss of control we feel at a kind of macro level, the truth is, there's a lot of control we still have in our lives and over our lives at a micro level. Attitude, how we talk to each other, you know, what course do you want to do, what jobs do you want, what kind of relationships that we want to be in. And so, We have this thing where every year we start off the year with so many intentions, but so few of us, come on, let's be honest, me included, we we end the year having accomplished those things. And more importantly, we believe as a church that God has a plan and purpose for our lives. Now, we have a plan for our lives, and God has a purpose, but when our plan comes under God's purpose, when those two things are aligned, that's where things can really happen. So we're asking the question over these few weeks, how do we make better decisions? Like, what does God say to us to help us, to give us wisdom, to make better decisions so that we can live with fewer regrets? Sound like a good idea? And, uh, of course, all this content is based off a book by a guy called Andy Stanley. The book is called, surprise, surprise, Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. If you were here for last week, uh, part one, we talked about deciding our way forward. This idea that our decisions are more than just decisions. Decisions determine the direction of our life. And the first step really to making better decisions is to ask better questions. Because better questions lead to better decisions. Another way of saying it is good questions lead to good decisions. And a lot of the times when we make poor decisions, it's partly because we haven't asked good questions. But here's the underlying premise. If you're just here for today or you want to go to sleep, here's the whole series. The underlying premise is this. If we ask good questions, and if we answer those questions honestly, and then if we act upon those answers, we will live with fewer regrets. Because here's the truth, and you know it. You are not the only person to be impacted by your decisions, nor are you the only person to be impacted by your regrets either. Our choices aren't only our choices, because they have a knock-on effect in the lives that we love and the lives that love us. And plus the fact there's a whole message coming up in the series called the legacy question. There's this really cool thing where our lives aren't just now. Our lives have a knock-on effect into the future. And our decisions are impacting those things and those people too. So we looked at how there's a difference then between a response and a reaction. Very often we said you have to apologize for a reaction. Very often you don't have to apologize for a response. We said that when we're challenged, a a response creates a better path forward than a reaction. Why? Because our decisions, when we're responding well, asking good questions, answering honestly and acting ultimately determine the story for our lives, which is challenging because what it means is, is that you, not completely, but you largely are responsible for the story of your life. If you don't like the story of your life, the challenge of this series is this, make better decisions because it's your decisions that got you where you are and it's your decisions that will get you where you're going. Now, if I was just doing a self-help talk, that would be good. But because we believe God loves us and God wants to be involved, the question we ask as a faith community, well, what about God? Where can God help us? 
And the truth is this. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants us to be wise. We looked at last week how wise can be defined as the best benevolent and beneficial. A, a wise person, a wise move, a wise question, a wise decision is one that is the best, that is benevolent. That means it's, it's loving, it's got love at its heart and it's beneficial not just to ourselves but also to those affected. And we kind of gave you a scripture which really is the kind of base scripture for the entire series. It comes from a, a book of wise sayings, a book of Proverbs written by King Solomon and here's what it says in verse 12. The wise see danger ahead and they so there's this idea the wise can see danger ahead and they make some decisions that mean they avoid a danger but fools keep going and get into trouble again there's a sense where any one of us can be wise none of us are born wise are born a fool uh and even people may label us certain things ultimately those things don't determine who we are we make a choice depending on our decisions we can be wise or we can be fools wisdom or wise people live as if life is connected they live with this idea that today's decision isn't just made in a vacuum it has knock-on consequences for the future but foolish people live as if life is disconnected this won't matter no one will care this won't hurt anyone bottom line good questions lead to better decisions which leads to fewer regrets. So what we're saying through this series is let's be wise. Let's all grow. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian today, we can all grow online or in the room. We can all grow in wisdom this January and by doing so, have a better year. Now, that was the introduction to the series. What we said as well is there's five questions in this series, five questions that if we ask these good questions, they will lead to good decisions. So today in part two, I want to give you the first of the five questions that we're asking and answering honestly and acting on. The first question is the integrity question. The integrity question. Now, we get integrity. Integrity means to be whole. It means to be together, put together. I mean, it just means that, you know, things are aligned, things are in order. And we, we like integrity. We like when our milk isn't two different substances in the carton, right? We like when milk is one substance. You with me? Come on, somebody. We like when we make dinner, there isn't two different layers of, of fat or juice. It's just like steak. And that's it. You know what I'm saying? We, we like things that have and are of integrity. But here's the scary thought as I open today's message. The scary thought is this. That the easiest person in the world to deceive is the person in the mirror. Would you agree? The easiest person in the world to deceive is the person in the mirror. Here's the bottom line. And again, this is true of me as much as it is of you in the room and you online. The truth is you have talked yourself into you have convinced yourself into, you have deceived yourself into, you, me, we, us, we have sold ourselves into every bad decision we have ever made. We did that. Us, me. In fact, let me go some, a little bit further. You were the mastermind behind nearly all of your most regrettable decisions. Whether they be financial, professional, whether they be relational, academic, or maybe they're spiritual. You, in essence, nearly all the time, you are the chief mastermind of all of your greatest regrets. You were there for all of them. You may point to certain individuals and blame them, but the common denominator in all of your bad decisions is you. Is me. 
In fact, let me just push it a little bit further since we're feeling so uncomfortable today. Uh, you've probably done more to undermine your own success and progress than any other person in your life. Now, please, I'm not saying that people haven't hurt us or abused us or taken advantage of us and, and have led us or mis- misled us. I'm not saying that we don't have those scenarios. Uh, that's there because I said nearly. But the truth is, come on, 90%, 95%, for some of us, 99% of our worst decisions and therefore our biggest regrets came from us. Because, because here's the bottom line, here's what we're going to tackle today. Because the most difficult person to lead is yourself. You are the most difficult person to lead. And part of why you're the most difficult person to lead, by the way, is because you can't lead yourself when you're lying to yourself. You can't lead yourself when you're lying to yourself. Come on, if you're an employer, if you're a manager, if you own your own company, what do you do when you have someone in your staff culture that is lying, that is a liar and won't repent and won't admit they're lying? What, what's the only thing you can do as an employer when you have a liar on the team? You fire the liar. Because you can't redeem the liar. I mean, if someone lies and is repentant, I'm sorry, I should have done that. It's my mistake. I did it. Okay, you can work with that. But when someone is, is lying and won't admit the fact that they're lying, then the only option you have as an employer is to fire the liar. Why? Because what you're looking to do is you want to fire the liar. We've got to make space to hire the honest and we want to have honest people working in our companies, our organizations, our businesses. We want, we want our staff to be filled with honest people. I mean, I, I drill this into my kids. It's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I mean, I'm your father. I'm the chief mistake maker in this whole family. But the one thing we can't tolerate in this home is lies. Because a mistake can be forgiven in a moment. But when trust is broken... It takes a while to get that trust back, right? And so we want to hire the honest. Now, we think of this in a professional, and we go, of course, but I want to apply it to yourself. You need to fire the liar in you and hire the honest in you because we need to get in control of the conversation in our head. In essence, you need to tell yourself the truth. You need to tell yourself the truth, even when it makes you feel bad about yourself. Come on, online in the room. This is the problem. We don't like feeling bad about ourselves. And we live in a world that is so comfortable and so convenience-driven and so characterized by consumerism that nearly all of our choices on a daily basis are, are an answer to the question, what is the path of least resistance? Like when it comes to my choice today, what are the choices that I can make that can avoid me feeling bad? But the problem is, is that when it comes to really important conversations, we apply it to truth. And this is where the integrity question comes in. It's where the first part of this series is so important, that we need to ask ourselves the integrity question. Why? Because dishonesty erodes credibility, right? When someone's dishonest, so a friend, a spouse, again, put it in the context of workplace, colleague, when someone's being dishonest, it erodes Credibility, that is true again in a professional setting, but apply it to yourself. When we are dishonest with ourselves, watch this, we lose credibility with ourselves. This is why when you, you get to the point where you say, this year I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to lose 10 kilos, I'm going to the gym, and the voice in your head is sitting on the couch with its feet up, eating chocolate and popcorn, going, ha, 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 ha. 
you're a disaster. Oh, this is brilliant. Again. Again. And rather than fighting that, 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 that voice in our head, what do we do? We go, yeah, you're right. What is that? That is the fact that we have been in the past dishonest with ourselves. Oh, just one bar, one more. That's a cheat day. I mean, it's cheat week, cheat month, cheat year. I'm just a cheater. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and, and over time, our brain just starts laughing at us like, you idiots. You keep saying these things, but you have no credibility in here. And again, that isn't just you. You'd be happy to know. It's all of us. It's a human condition. And the reason for this is because here's the bottom line, guys. You are a sucker for you. You are a sucker for you. Love yourself. Even those who struggle the most, oh, I don't know. So you love, you put clothes on yourself today. You hopefully washed yourself. You put, now effort may be measured differently, but every one of us put some kind of effort in today to be here. Because we, you know, despite all the challenges of our society, we love ourselves. And you are a sucker for you. And what starts off as a good intention very seldom leads to a good direction. This is January. I mean, how many of you already have, have made plans? You have goals. You're dieting. You're using the fast. You're back in the gym. You're making lifestyle changes. Everyone's obsessed with calories. Hey, you want to know, I'll, I'll give you some free advice. You want to know the quickest way to burn 800 calories in 30 minutes. I'm going to give you some advice. You want to burn 800 calories in 30 minutes? Right here in church, I'm going to show you how to do it. Here we go. Boom. That's how you burn 800 calories in 30 minutes every single time. The best part is you don't even have to leave your couch, everybody. You can just cremate that thing and feed it to the birds. Now, joking aside, what's going on? It's because, here's the truth, you can talk yourself into and you can talk yourself out of almost anything. Like, you are a master in persuasion. You can talk yourself into and you can talk yourself out of almost anything. And usually our biggest regrets were, came as a result of us talking ourselves into or not talking ourselves out of a decision that led to that regret. Now the key is this, how do we, how do we change this? What's the first step to getting control? What is the integrity question? Well, it requires rigorous honesty rigorous honesty. You talk to any of the major rehab organizations, you know, all these organizations that work with people in addiction, do an amazing job. And one of the first things they usually say across the board is that you have to be completely, absolutely, rigorously honest with yourself. Because if you can't stop lying to yourself and break that chain, you can't stop lying to everybody else. You got to start with you. And again, the word rigorous as broken down in the English language means it's thorough. It's exhaustive and it's meticulous, which usually means it's exhausting. Rigorous means it takes effort. We, don't, we leave no stone unturned. We look at every angle, every part. We don't, we don't turn a blind eye. It's meticulous. We have to be rigorously. We have to be thoroughly, exhaustively and meticulously honest with ourselves if we're going to be able to benefit from the integrity question. Why? What, what does that mean? It means that we have to tell ourselves the truth even when it makes us feel bad about ourselves. Because here's the bottom line, guys. Feeling bad about yourself isn't always bad for yourself. I'll say it again. Feeling bad about yourself isn't always, Miss Ines, bad for yourself. It isn't the worst thing in the world. In fact, temporarily feeling bad about yourself sometimes can be good for yourself. 
feeling bad about yourself because you said, oh, I'm not going to eat that cake, but man, I really wanted it. Or I'm not going to go to that place because I know it's going to happen if I hang around that group. Or I'm not going to answer that text message because if I answer him, answer her, I know it isn't just a conversation, it's a direction. And even though in the moment you feel bad and your feelings are hurt because you wanted it so bad, in the long run you look back and think, that was actually good for me. Because again, here's the truth. You will never get where you want to be until you acknowledge where you actually are. If you aren't honest about why you are choosing what you are choosing, next slide please. If you aren't honest about why you're choosing what you're choosing, you'll find it difficult to find who is responsible for what you chose. Right? I mean, this is very simple. If you can't be honest with yourself about why you're choosing, what you're choosing, that relationship, that job, that decision, whatever it is, if you can't, well then when it comes to who's to blame, it's up in the air. Whose fault is it? I don't know. It was my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. It was the government. It was the world. It was UFOs. It was aliens. It's everyone except me. Why? Because we haven't come to a rigorously honest point of view of realizing, man, I'm to blame for what I did because this is why I wanted it. See, the integrity question, this whole message today, the integrity question is simply this. It's the question, am I being honest with myself? Is this, is, I'm not even talking about accountability with, with spouses or friends. I'm just talking about yourself. Are you being rigorously honest with yourself? Why? Because there's no win in justifying your decisions to yourself. And again, we are brilliant at justifying decisions to ourselves, right? I mean, I'm actually fascinated by this. Whenever I decide to eat clean or cut out stuff out of my diet, I'm always fascinated by how I sit there and look at a plate of biscuits. And I'm like, I have made the decision in my mind. I don't want to eat sugar for a month or whatever it might be. And I have a goal in mind for why I want to do that. Usually for me, I do CrossFit, so I want to do more pull-ups. So more pull-ups is easier when you're lighter. So the trade-off is less biscuits, more pull-ups. And this is what I want. And this is what I've decided because the pain of not doing pull-ups is really sore if you're competitive like me. But I sit there and somehow I'm able to talk myself around what I know is actual fat. Like those biscuits will fill my gut and I will get fat. But somehow I have the ability to justify it was a bad day. I mean, it's, it's cold outside in Ireland. The clouds are a bit lower than usual. I mean, my favorite character in my TV soap died last night. Shocking stuff. I mean, I didn't really pet my dog today. I feel really heartbroken. I just, I think like I deserve. And of course, you turn to your friends and say, what do you guys think? And they'll go, oh, you deserve it. Oh, you do. Because they're all thinking the same thing. They're thinking, if you eat, we eat. And we all justify our nonsense. But as funny as it is, here's the truth. Justifying, in essence, is just a lying justifying is just a lying all we're doing is lying to ourselves and we gotta be careful that we don't surround ourselves with people who enable those lies because lies don't lies never lead to better decisions lies and deceit always leads to regret we gotta tell ourselves the truth you gotta tell yourself the truth and more than just the truth you gotta tell yourself the truth out loud There's something interesting about when we have this conversation out loud. Like, do I want to eat those biscuits? Now, everyone goes, oh my gosh, are you you on medication? (laughs) But the minute you get it out there, it's like, of course not. 
It's amazing how when it's in your head, like you're in a losing battle, but as soon as you say it out loud, it's all of a sudden the power shifts onto your side. But not just out loud. I want you to add in a word. I want you to add in the word really. Tell yourself the truth out loud and add in the question really. So let's go back. What's the intended question? Am I being honest with myself? Say with me. Really. One more time. Am I being honest with myself? Really. Again, there's power in asserting the really. Think about why am I doing this? Really. Why am I avoiding him or her? Really. Why am I postponing that? Really. Why am I excusing that? Really. Why did I say yes to that? Really. Why did I wear that? Really. Why did I purchase that? Really. Why did I move in? Really. Why did I move out? Really. Why won't I get help? Really. And why won't I allow God? Really. Just saying out loud and putting the really in completely changes the dynamic of the conversation. And again, the reason for all this is because you are your own greatest salesperson. You may consider yourself the worst salesperson in the world. You couldn't sell anything to anyone. Let me tell you something. To yourself, you are the greatest salesperson yourself has ever experienced. You are the best. If you were an Arab, you could send sand to yourself. You're that good. You can sell rain to an Irishman. I mean, you are so good at selling stuff to yourself. You are the chief sales officer of your life. And our greatest regrets, come on, are associated with things and people that we sold ourselves on. We sold ourselves on. Which is why after the event, we look back and we say, what was I doing? with that person what was I doing telling that lie what was I doing going what was I doing which usually is associated with what was I thinking and like we said last week very often the fool is a fool because the fool doesn't think they live as if life were disconnected but what was I doing what was I thinking are linked and the truth is we weren't thinking why what were we doing we were selling we, weren't, we think we were thinking because we were having a conversation in our head. But when we look back, we weren't thinking. We were selling ourselves. We were sales pitching ourselves. It's like that person that comes to your door and tries to sell you something you don't need. It's like the middle section in Little, Little and Aldi. You don't need anything in that middle section. But every single time I go there, I buy something. It drives me mad. It's like, why have I bought more use, well-made, German-built Useless junk. I mean, what is with that? Okay, so we weren't thinking we were selling. So here's the practical help then. What should we do? As soon as you find yourself selling yourself on anything, the wisest thing to do is hit pause. Hit pause. Hit pause. Why? Because, let's be honest, we rarely sell ourselves on a good idea. Do you ever notice this? It's always on the bad ideas. Like we rarely, because it's almost like a good idea. It doesn't need to be sold. Because it's a good idea. But when we find ourselves justifying to ourselves, just lying to ourselves, selling ourselves on something, the best thing we can do is hit pause. We rarely sell ourselves on a good idea. And when we hit pause, the next thing we do is tell ourselves the unfiltered, honest, rigorous truth. Because even though it's difficult sometimes to admit 
what we know we don't want to know, if you're with me, the truth is you'll be better off. You'll be better off, and not only will you be better off, but those who love you and those who are connected to you and those who are part of you, they'll be better off too. Now, if you're wondering, like I wondered, like what is, why is it so hard to make good decisions? Why does this seem so unnatural? And the truth is, the reason why it seems so unnatural is because it is unnatural. Choosing, surprise, surprise, what's best isn't natural. You would think, but surely we, 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 we want you know, to do well, but we don't. And in fact, it was Francis Bacon, the 17th century English philosopher, scholar, and scientist. You know him because he is accredited for founding the scientific method by which we, you know, science works, the whole idea of science. He said this about this exact issue over 200 years ago. He said, the human understanding, when it has once adopted an opinion, so once you think something, or you want something, or you see something, okay? Once you adopt, once you adopt an opinion, it draws all things else to support and agree with it. And though there be a greater number and weight of instances to be found on the other side, yet these it either neglects or despises, or else by some distinction sets aside, sets aside and rejects. What's, he, what's the, the inventor of the scientific medicine? He said that when we want something, we convince ourselves that all arrows and signs are pointing towards the thing that we want. We have this ability to shut off common sense, to shut off wisdom, to shut off the voice of those who disagree with what we want, even though deep down we know it may not be good for us. Now, modern day psychology calls this the confirmation bias. The idea that we see, we want, and we convince ourselves that what we, what we want is good for us. Which, you know, if that was just that, that's fine. But so often we look back and we, we look at the things that we were confirmationally biased on, and they, they didn't lead to good things. They led to some of the greatest regrets of our lives. See, what Francis Bacon is saying is that we naturally open ourselves up to anything that confirms what we want. We naturally find evidence to support what we want to see. And so often again, after the fact, we look back and we say, it's so clear now, right? It's so clear. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? What was I doing? But what about in the moment? Why is it so hard to find clarity in the moment? And the answer is, go back to the beginning, is because the easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. And this is why we need God's help. And today's text, we're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. We're going to look at one verse. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah was like a court advisor to a bunch of Judean kings. So he's like an advisor, kind of like a presidential advisor. He's also a prophet. He's an author. But his primary role within the society of the day was to advise the king. And the thing about being king is that you could take advice if you wanted it, but if, you're, if you don't want advice... You don't take it because you're the king. Uh, unfortunately, however, in Jeremiah's life, he witnessed four different kings taking on the responsibility for the kingdom of Judah, which is half, the lower half of what we call the Holy Land, okay? the lower half of what you might call Israel. And Jeremiah tries to tell these kings that what you're doing is confirmation bias. The choices you're making aren't, you're not asking good questions. And it's going to lead to some bad decisions, which ultimately will lead to some terrible regrets. 
But time and time again, each one of these kings didn't listen. The first one we're told is a king called King Jehoiakim. And King Jehoiakim, he was kind of subjected to another king, a king in Babylon, who will come to a second called King Nebuchadnezzar. There's a mouthful. And because he was subjected, he had to pay like a tribute, like a tax to the king of Babylon to, to remain in some sense of, of autonomy. He did that for three years, and one day he decides, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go against King Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and side with his arch rival, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and start paying him a tribute. And if Nebuchadnezzar's got a problem with it, he can come, and the king of Egypt will back me up. In other words, I'm going to make a terrible decision to save me some money. I'm going to take the path of least resistance because this other person who promised to help me, even though it doesn't seem, even though it doesn't seem wise, surely they'll come and save the day. Well, Egypt didn't. Enter King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar says, well, that's not good enough. He sends an army down to the city of Jerusalem, besieges it, eventually captures uh, King Jehoiakim. And, you know, many of us grew up collecting coins, or my kids right now are all about Pokemon cards, you know, baseball cards, football cards. King Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. Whenever he defeated an enemy kingdom, he would not kill the king. He would capture the enemy king, gouge his eyes out, kill his whole family, lead him back to Babylon. And every year, big festivals, he'd bring out his king collection and say, see how good I am? Which is why they called him the king of kings. Not a man to be trifled. Again, Jeremiah advised against this, but he didn't listen. So King Jehoiakim is arrested. His family's killed in front of him and his eyes are gouged out. Nebuchadnezzar then inserts his son, King Jehoiachin. His family didn't have great creativity when it came to names. And King Jehoiachin was like, I think he was 18 years old when he became king. And three months in the King Jehoiachin's role, Nebuchadnezzar said, ah, I changed my mind. So he comes along, gouges his eyes out and brings him home and puts him, adds him to the collection of kings. Then he inserts King Jehoiachin's uncle, who's called King Zedekiah. Now, King Zedekiah did not know the time, but his decisions wouldn't just lead to regrets for him personally, because ultimately he's going to be led off, and as you can tell within the story, become another king in the collection of kings. But he was the last king of the Jews, the last king of Judah. He was the last king in the kingly line in the story of Israel. His decisions not only wrecked his life, but wrecked the entire story of a nation. That is, of course, until Jesus came. And Jeremiah, after advising all these kings, watching each one confirmationally biased, tell themselves, create a version of events that wasn't true, comes to a a very powerful, poignant, and kind of very sad conclusion in chapter 17 and verse 9. After all this advice, and eventually the the city of Jerusalem is attacked, it's completely destroyed, it's burnt down, and Jeremiah lives through all this. And at the end of all this, he concludes in verse 17, he says, the heart is deceitful above all else and is beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond all cure. Who can understand it? It's so interesting because one of the characters of our culture is follow your heart, man. Follow your heart. Your heart knows the way. Like you don't want to be in this marriage anymore? Follow your heart into adultery. You don't, you don't want to work anymore? Follow your heart into not working. Follow your, like it's almost like whenever I follow my heart, I end up in a place that's characterized by heartbreak. 
Like if my heart was smart, my heart would lead me into better places. But the reason for this is, is because our heart's propensity, its default mode, isn't wisdom. It's deceit. It's foolish. It's folly. Our heart's propensity is towards foolishness. And in some sense, it's beyond cure. It's permanent. That's where we're going to end the message this week. God bless you guys. I'm only joking. (laughs) There's no cure. It's that's why every one of us no matter how smart we are intellectually no matter how experienced we are even some of you who have been Christ followers and know the Bible we consistently find ourselves asking the question I don't understand why I did what I did you followed your heart yes but you don't understand it why? because you were deceived not by him not by her not by them not by us you were deceived by you You sold yourself a version of events that weren't the truth. Again, the integrity question cuts across this then. It says, well, if the propensity of the heart is towards the seed, then we have to do something. We have to ask ourselves something. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I being honest with myself? Really? What's the real motive for wanting what's the real motive for wanting him for wanting her for going there for coming here for saying that for not saying the other what is the real motive because the general natural propensity of our hearts is towards folly and foolishness not towards wisdom now there's a challenge there's a question there's good news here's the challenge the challenge is this the challenge I want to give you as, as, as we kind of begin to bring this lecture close today is I want to challenge you as you start the new year to make a commitment to yourself. And the commitment is this. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. And again, this is, not, this is none of my business. I'm saying I, I, I think it would be good for you online in the room. It would be good for you if you would make a commitment, if you would challenge yourself this year. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. That's the challenge. Here's the question. The question then is, as we kind of bring this thing to a close, the question is, when you find yourself faced with a decision, a relationship decision, an employment decision, an opportunity, an opportunity to lie, deceive, cheat, I don't know, whatever it may be, ask yourself this question. Am I telling myself the truth or am I selling myself a regret? And say it out loud and added the word, Really? When it comes to that relationship, are you telling yourself the truth, really? Or are you selling yourself on a regret? I remember many years ago, um, we just had my first son, Joshua. He was like a year old, and we needed a new car. We had a car, guys. It was a Fiat Seicento. You know what that is? It's a matchbox with wheels. And it had no handbrake. It had no speedometer. And one day I was driving home and the exa- I was turning the corner and I, the car turned, but my entire exhaust system went that way. So that had a matchbox that sounded like a rally car. And it was impractical having a baby. You know, it was only two doors. Even to get a baby seat and out, like took an hour. You need an engineering degree to get your child out of his car. So we decided, hey, it's within our interest as parents to buy a safer car for our child. So we did some research and that time, many, many years ago, I think the award-winning car was a Renault. So we went with Renault. That was in our price range. And I had a budget in mind. I said, okay, I can spend four grand. And if I find the right car, I can stretch to six. 
Ever, anyone ever been there before? So I go in, and I'm looking for this car. It was, it was a Renault Scenic. In that price range, there was three. I'm looking at them, and it's all great. Like, and actually, I found one I really liked. It was like perfect. It was, it was the right mileage, the right color. It had seven seats. It was great. And then the salesman says, but you know what? Have you seen this? And he brings me over to the brand new Renault Megane Dynamique 1.4 petrol at turbocharged. I'm like, oh, hello. Where have you been my whole life? I said, well, okay, I mean, it's a nice car. I mean, I'm not sure. And he goes, take it for a drive. Let me tell you something. Never take it for a drive. <laughs> look at it, want it, and look away. Okay? You take it for a drive, you're done. You're married. Okay? So, took it for a drive, and naturally, surprise, surprise. Oh, my gosh. This is the best thing ever. I come back, how much? 14,000 euros. Don't know about that now. It's a bit above my price range. Uh, well, you know what you can do is you can get a guarantor, right? You can get someone else to put their name on the contract. So if you can't afford it, they'll pay for it. I said, like, I never heard of this. I was like twenty. I was like twenty years old. I, I, I'm like, bring my father, who's here in the audience. I was like, you can be my guarantor. He's like, sure. I mean, like whatever. And, and I buy this car. But as the whole process is happening, something inside of me is just not at ease. It's, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I, if I had known then what I know now, I could have told you I was selling myself for regret. Because that time I was in a great job, worked in management, the retail, life was good. This, this, this car was well within our budget to, in terms of our, our salary and so on. The next month, someone asked me to give up my job pack up my family, and move up here and start a church. Crazy, right? And I was like, man, that is the craziest thing. Give up my job, take a huge salary cut, leave my hometown, leave my family, just had a baby, move up to this place and start a church. Let me pray about it. And I prayed about it, and it was God. That's how we came here. Fast forward the clock six months, and of course, having a lesser salary, but still having the same bill, made life difficult. It got to a point where I could not any longer afford that car. It became the biggest frustration, pain of my life. Every day, I was getting four or five phone calls. Because I was literally paying interest on interest. And eventually, I cried to God in push like this. And said, God, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. I made a stupid decision. I was foolish. I, sold my, I didn't tell myself the truth. I realize I'm, res- I'm responsible, but can you show me mercy? A few days go by, and all of a sudden the phone rings. Back in the old days, you had like a landline, remember those? So the landline rings, I pick it up, and it's one of my mentors. He says, listen, I was just praying for you today, and this crazy thing happened. We just sold our house, and God told us to give you this amount of money. And I was like, what the flip? And I'm not a crier, but I'll be honest, I cried a lot. Because the amount that God told him, did no clue, was the exact amount that we owed. We pay off that car, I sold that flipping car, and never, ever, ever sold myself on the regret of buying a car I couldn't afford. So I'm, I'm, we, we get this. But the truth is this, we have hope and we have help in God. God shows us grace and mercy, if we're willing, but we have to tell ourselves the truth. We have to ask ourselves, am I being honest with myself? Really? 
which asked us, why do you continue to go out with them? Really? Why did you file for divorce? Really? Why did you take that job? Even though it means you can't be in church on Sunday and you can't be in a connected why, why do you take a job that makes you compromise what you say is the most important part of your life, your faith? Why did you take it really? Why did you move in with him or her really? I mean, what was the choice between you know, giving up your faith, compromising your values and moving it in a relationship that you knew wasn't good for you and would eventually lead you away from the plans and purpose for God? Why are you running from God? Really? I mean, it's brutal, right? It's, it's tough. It's heavy lifting. It's terrifying. It's clarifying. It's liberating. And it's empowering. If we allow it. The truth can be brutal. But the truth can be empowering. Many, many years ago, and I'll finish this. When I was where some of you are right now, not a Christian, not a Christ follower, raised in a Catholic family, but didn't have a, a relationship with God, my own, highly skeptical of church and Christianity, someone gave me a Bible. It was my wife. And she wrote in the first cover, the first page of inside the cover, a scripture. And the scripture was John 8.32. It says this, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Sometimes the truth makes us feel bad about ourselves because we're wrong. Sometimes the truth makes us feel uncomfortable because we know change is necessary. Sometimes the truth isn't easy to swallow, but the truth always sets us free. The truth always liberates us, empowers us, and frees us from the just allying habits that have come to characterize our lives. And if we're going to take control and make better decisions and live with few regrets. When it comes to our walk with God, our values, when it comes to relationships and money and jobs and all these things, let's seek the truth. Let's live in freedom. I'm going to invite the band up. And let me apply this to push. As we think about praying until something happens, the question we're asking then is, is what is God asking you to do to position yourself in a posture of humility in order to hear from Him? Here's the premise. God is speaking. 